Welcome to a very special series of Easter Explores. On the 31st of March 2021, the European Space Agency opened applications for its first astronaut selection in over a decade. In this series, we delve a bit deeper into the role and the attributes of ESA astronauts with a few of the people who know them best. Along the way, we discover there are so many different opportunities to work in space exploration, and there's no one linear pathway to getting there. We hope you enjoy this journey behind the scenes, and if you are applying to ESA's astronaut selection, we wish you best of luck. You'll find everything you need to know online at esa.int slash yourwaytospace. I'm Ali Kohler, Stephen Ennis is on the sound desk, and this is ESA Explores. This. Nie. Ato. Seven. Seis. Fünf. Stere. Drei. Dwa. One. In this episode, we're speaking with Andrea Boyd. Andrea Boyd is the team coordinator for what's known as Eurocoms, who are the people who speak to the astronauts while they are orbiting Earth on the International Space Station. She's also Deputy Lead of Astronaut Operations. That means she's Deputy to Luca Palmitano, who we heard from in an earlier episode. With both Australian and Italian roots, Andrea embodies the international nature of space exploration and the space industry. Let's hear what she has to say about her exciting role and any advice she might have for astronaut hopefuls as ESA calls for new astronauts. You can find out more about this astronaut selection online at esa.int slash yourwaytospace. Today we're talking to Andrea Boyd. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here and you have a really interesting job. Can you start by telling us a little bit about what it is that you do at the European Space Agency? Yes, my job is Eurocoms, we're the European Communicator and Medical Operations, which is one of the positions in mission control. So we are the voice of Earth, effectively, that talks back to the astronauts when they're in space. And in Europe, we have additional specialities of taking care of European astronaut crew health uh, when they're on board the space station as well. I like that. The voice of space. That's a pretty cool thing to be. So can you tell us a little bit about that? What exactly are you talking to the astronauts about and when are you talking to them? Yes. So there's not just Houston like the movies. There's actually five mission controls. So there's Houston, Huntsville in Alabama, Munich in Europe, uh, Moscow in in Russia and Scuba in Japan. Additionally, there's actually also um, science centers uh, all across Europe. So it's very multinational. And uh, when we're on console, there's one person at each center who is talking to the astronauts when we're working together. So we actually, from each center, work with astronauts from all the countries uh, when they're doing um, science operations or systems or engineering within the module that we're working on. So for us, it would be any astronaut from any country working inside the European module will talk to the Eurocoms. Uh, which is super fun because you get to work with really all of the astronauts, all the different nationalities, and you're doing just hundreds of different uh, science experiments and different systems and engineering maintenance. And there's never any day that's the same. And you have new experiments every six months and different combinations of astronauts every few months. So uh, it's really a wonderful uh, international and challenging role on console. It certainly sounds it. And so does it change whether there's a European astronaut on board or not? By the time this comes out, we might have Thomas Pesquet up in space. When we don't have a European astronaut, 
Is it a different role or is it much the same? So as Eurocoms or as uh, our counterparts and the others, where the connection and the interface between all of our scientists and engineers and specialists on Earth and the flight directors and the astronauts in space and uh, representing the astronauts to the mission control teams as well. So we are always on console and it's not too much different uh, whether we have European astronaut or not. That said, in our role as Eurocom, because we also take care of the biomedical operations side, when we have a European astronaut on board, of course, we do have a lot of extra roles because we're additionally taking care of their welfare. And to be honest, when we have a European astronaut on board, of course, we do have a bit more European science that we're able to add in. So it does get quite busy for us as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk me through a little bit more about that biomedical aspect? What does that entail? So we're the eyes and ears of the astronaut doctors, so the crew surgeons uh, or astronaut doctors are on console. So they normally won't sit on active shifts. Uh, They'll come in perhaps for special occasions. So uh, ourselves and the other biomedical engineers at the different centres are the ones uh, uh, taking extra care and and, uh, keeping an extra eye on certain parameters of the crew health and also facilitating things like the private medical conferences and uh, their exercise uh, schedules and um, different medical countermeasures and necessary things like this. Okay, so that support, that kind of holistic support for astronauts is really important. And you mentioned crew support as well. So the Eurocoms on console, uh, we're based at the European Astronaut Centre in Cologne. Uh, Even though they do call us Munich, we're actually physically in Cologne. The the team is composed of people from each of the three different uh, teams inside the European Astronaut Centre. So crew support, astronaut trainers, and space medicine office, biomedical engineers. I'm part of the crew support, astronaut operations. When we're not working on console, we have a role off console as well. So I'm the deputy lead of crew support, and we take care of uh, launches, landings, doing space food, doing bonus food. Um, Everything from end to end when an astronaut is assigned from a mission for their mission and their family support and uh, really making all of their training and their lives um, smoother and easier and then uh, taking care of different things when they're on orbit and then, you know, even going out to the landings, of course, and uh, taking care of them post-flight. So really, it's it's a big range of things that we are able to do. Uh, We also help facilitate things like crew care packages. So when the crew is on board, each time there's a cargo ship, there's actually a uh, package from their family that's able to go up on each of those ships as well, uh, which is a super nice bonus for the crew to have those uh, surprises when they're on orbit. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess having you take care or you and your team take care of all of these little things enables the astronauts to really focus on what it is that they're there for and not be not be distracted because we do have such a short period in which they're really heavily scheduled. Yes, absolutely. So uh, we definitely want to make their their lives easier and make sure that the astronauts and their families feel very well supported throughout the mission so that they can focus on their jobs. Uh, So one thing that's also interesting is you, like me, are from the Southern Hemisphere and it's not so often that we encounter someone from the Southern Hemisphere or from Australia, New Zealand, in the European Space Agency but you've also got Italian, a bit of Italian there as well. Can you tell me about your pathway to ESA and how you came to be working here? 
Yes, so I did university in, uh, so I did school initially in Australia, but I did university in Australia and South Korea. I graduated and I did want to come straight over. Uh, I needed a bit more experience first and finding the equivalencies between degrees and countries was a bit difficult. So I worked in Australia for a number of years um, and gained enough experience to then come over and apply to the space station program. So I've been here about 10 years now. Europe is actually extremely inclusive. So the majority of people that work at the European Space Agency are actually also at NASA and the others as well are integrated contractors. So you don't necessarily have to have the nationality in Europe of um, a European country. You just need to have work rights in Europe. So it's a lot more inclusive. Uh, The other countries, even though they have the contract set up, you do pretty much need the nationalities like American or Russian or Japanese. Uh, But in Europe, it's very welcoming. We have a lot of really amazing colleagues from hugely diverse backgrounds, uh, Argentinian and South African and Kiwi and Aussie and uh, lots of different um, mixes of nationalities in there, which is awesome. Yeah, that is great. You get that diversity and that real international feel, which is the beautiful thing about the International Space Station and, and space exploration. You talked a little bit about the places that you studied, but what was your pathway? What is your background? So my degree is in mechatronic engineering. It's a combination of mechanical, electronic and computer systems. So a lot of uh, automation and robotics, uh, control systems type engineering. So it's very much a big picture kind of engineering that draws from a lot of different backgrounds because they found in industry that they would have to hire three different types of engineers to do Uh, automation and control systems and that was then developed into a degree so that you could have somebody come in and really do the end-to-end process uh, which I feel translated quite well to um, working in the space industry which I always wanted to do so I was making sure all of my choices of projects at university were space themed Uh, Whether that was an official choice or not, I usually managed to (laughs) uh, make it an option. Then also uh, did a lot of space volunteering on the side. So I was a student volunteer at lots of space conferences. I volunteered for many years with the United Nations Space Youth Council. I did a lot of things like that. When I graduated, I went to work for a control systems company um, and I was actually posted at a mine in the middle of nowhere. So I was working in an underground mine on quite complex engineering systems, very um, good parallels to space and space station, to be honest, because it's quite an extreme environment and has a lot of, you know, really high risk, low, low fault tolerance systems. And you have to be very safety conscious and really take care of yourself and your teammates. Keep always, you know, the safety of humans at the forefront of your mind. Uh, So working in a big control room and working on the engineering of that was extremely good preparation for working on the space station. And I put that together with my space volunteering when I had enough professional engineering experience to then come over here. Wonderful. And we're really glad that you did. I mean, imagine in your current role, you would have some memorable moments in your communication with the space station and the astronauts. Is there anything that's really stuck out for you? I mean, planning your career around wanting to be in the space sector, are there some times that you can recall where you think, okay, yeah, I really am in the space sector now? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of the things on and off console, uh, definitely. So the 
Uh, on console, for example, you can't just come off the street and work as a flight controller. You need to first train. So it's a bit like going back to school. You need to go back and study and then sit tests on the new things that you've studied. And you have quite a lot of uh, weeks of theoretical training. And then you go into the practical training once you've passed all your theoretical exams and you have the simulations. So simulations are really you're on the same looking software as mission control uh, in the real world. Uh, you're putting together everything that you've learned in theory. So you've got the voice communications, the other flight controllers on console who are in the simulation experience. So to really augment your training in that sense. Uh, yeah, you really need to be able to, to put everything into practice and be adaptable and calm and, you know, work the situation, whatever it is, uh, because it's not, you know, can you do a task? It's can you do a task when you've been on console for five hours, you're a bit tired, you're a bit grumpy and there's some sort of anomaly, you know, how do you respond to that and make sure you keep everyone safe and uh, respond accurately. So I think working that and having had the experience and things uh like the minds beforehand, um, I'm quite a calm and adaptable person. And that's definitely a characteristic of most flight controllers is that we're very well trained to deal with the different situations. Once you've done all of the simulations and you get to the real console, it's actually much less dramatic <laughs> because in simulations, you know, you start off with a regular day and then different anomalies get injected. And then at the very end, after seven or eight hours, uh, you'll have an emergency as well that you need to respond correctly to with the right procedures. And we have a procedure for almost everything on the space station. So you'll have a fire or a depressurization like a hole in the spacecraft. You need to be able to calmly work the procedures, keep everyone safe and adapt to that. And I think you've also been on console for Christmas cooldowns, haven't you? We spoke to you in the first series with Lucas Beyond Mission and you said, had some interesting stories then. So if anyone hasn't listened to that, they should go back and listen because um, we had some great stories from Andrea and then the episode with Thomas, actually, who's just about to launch or will have launched by the time you hear this. Yes, definitely. Christmas is a day off, but we definitely still have a few nice bonus call downs. One time the astronauts even sung us carols <laughs> when I was <laughs> I hope they had good singing voices. You are talking to astronauts, astronauts of all kinds, not just the European astronauts, but the astronauts of all nationalities. So we're recording this in light of the astronaut selection. AIS is calling for astronauts for the first time in 10 years. And as someone who works pretty closely with astronauts on a day-to-day -day basis, you'd have a good idea about some of the characteristics that might be important. What would you say would be the characteristics that applicants might need or benefit from? Yeah, absolutely. So there are definitely very common characteristics that are shared between astronauts and uh, quite a lot of flight controllers as well in the sense of you absolutely should be adaptable, calm under pressure, really good at working with other people. So teamwork is really important. Um, if you have team sports, that sort of thing, even better. We're looking this time for four to six full-time astronauts as well as around 20 reserve astronauts. So your chances are really the best in history and absolutely apply if you meet the minimum requirement. So first of all, everybody has a baseline of the same minimum requirements, which is you know, a degree in science or engineering, a medical doctor or military pilot. So they're the four possible backgrounds that you can have. You need to be fluent in English. Uh, so really like C1, C2 level. Because we're Europe, it's a big advantage if you also have uh, other European languages or Russian, but really the, the teamwork, being good with people, 
it's, you know, it's not an isolated work environment. We are really working as a big international team. So having really good multicultural skills and interpersonal skills is going to really work in your favor for um, being an astronaut. Everybody's going to have those baselines. So what else do you have as well? So like different extracurricular activities that you're into, doesn't particularly matter what, but have, you know, extra things that you're interested in and are passionate about. Some extra bonus skills that you can have that'll definitely get you plus points is uh, being good at swimming, uh, scuba diving, photography skills. You'll be trained in these during basic training, but if you have it beforehand, definite bonus points. Communication and public events, you know, astronauts are the face of ESA. So definitely having the ability to relate well to other people and to communicate well to a big range of different age groups and different nationalities. Uh, you really need to be open to lifelong learning. So, you know, I mentioned for flight control, we had to study and sit exams. Well, astronauts during their training, they're studying new things every week and sitting tests almost every Friday. So really be um, open-minded and ready to keep learning because your uh, learning journey really never ends. And hopefully you also like traveling because there is a big international aspect of working as an astronaut. And um, for the fitness you know, you don't need to be a super athlete. Actually, that's not ideal if you're like a super fit person. Uh, you need to pass the standard uh, pilot medical check and have regular exercise and sport and be healthy. And uh, that's really ideal for uh, the astronauts because they need to, of course, have discipline in doing their own fitness and then continue that discipline when they're on board the space station um, for their cardio and their resistive exercise training, which are the countermeasures for living in microgravity. Yeah, that's all good stuff. I don't think I'm suited. I'm glad I'm not doing an exam every Friday. That would not be for me, but it's definitely interesting learning about it. Yeah, so definitely be open to all of that sort of stuff. You know, definitely always stay calm, adapt to whatever happens and be very patient at waiting as well. You know, even the recruitment process is an excellent practice for, you know, waiting for a mission because the recruitment process is quite long. Uh, you know, it's, it takes uh, over a year for the whole process. And uh, you can imagine once you're selected, your basic training goes for around two years and then you wait for a mission selection. And once you're selected, mission-specific training is uh, one and a half to two and a half years as well before going up for your long duration, approximately six-month mission. It is quite a big process. Take it as it goes and, and have fun while you're doing it. Great advice. But it's not just astronauts that ESA is going to be looking for and it's not just astronauts that are the roles that we need people to come into in the, in the space sector. What advice would you give to someone who might be considering their options right now, maybe their study options or whether a career for in the space industry is something for them? Absolutely. So we have a huge range of roles that are available at ESA um, across many different countries all around Europe. So as mentioned, at just at the Astronaut Centre, we have the Crew Support Astronaut Operations Team. We've got the Astronaut Trainers. So if you're good at teaching and you like, uh, you know, studying and imparting your knowledge, then you could be a teacher for the astronauts to help uh, instruct them on different systems and experiments. If you're into medical or into sports, then we have full-time astronaut fitness trainers and exercise physiology specialists. We have biomedical specialists. We have, of course, real-life medical doctors who are then the astronauts' doctors. 
So there's like such a broad range that you could be involved in just for human space flight. A background really in any science or engineering or for the medical ones, of course, the, the relevant medical backgrounds. But, you know, pick something that you're interested in because there's lots of different types of engineering. There's lots of different types of science. So find something that you like and run with that and you can absolutely turn it into a space career. Wonderful. Great advice. Thanks for talking to us, Andrea. Very interesting. Thank you. To find out more about ESA's 2021 astronaut selection, visit the website esa.int slash your way to space. That's your way to space. Thanks for listening to ESA Explores. If you have any feedback or ideas for future episodes of the podcast, don't hesitate to get in touch via Twitter at ESA Spaceflight using the hashtag ESA Explores.